broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. I just want to be the motor to this defense, you know, the motor to the defensive line. Uh, Max and myself, we're both uh, identifying ourselves as uh, the guys that need to put this team on our back as far as the defensive side of the ball. And guys will follow uh, as, as it goes, you know. We just have to set that standard. And um, from here on out, that's what's going to happen. The other years don't matter anymore. It's a whole new era. You love to hear it, right? That's Unique Ngakwe uh, talking about being the motor of this defense. Uh, I just, I, you know, the, the parallels sometimes um, are, are, are striking to me in a way um, between, you know, what we're seeing in the NBA with some of these young teams, which the, the Raiders are a young team, uh, in case you haven't noticed, and adding some key players when the timing is right, right? The Phoenix Suns did that by bringing in a Chris Paul and a, and a, and a, a Jay Crowder, guys that were going to you know, come to a, a young team that was on the verge, that was on the cusp, that was obviously moving in the right direction, and the development was, was, was happening um, as, as expected. But now was the time to be able to supplement that with some – KG veterans, some savvy players that were going to fill needs, specific needs, but also be leaders and be examples and be teachers. And I think, you know, when you look at a unique Ngakwe who obviously is willing to take that role, wants it, is embracing it, you know, Unique and Godway came out, and we, I think we have the uh, the sound uh, for this. Let's just go ahead and play it real quick, Damon uh, Demon, if you're ready, um, of him talking about he and Max Crosby and, and what they're capable of being together. He and Max Crosby could be the best defensive end uh, tandem in, in in the NFL. You know what I love about that? I love talking about it and putting it out there, having the confidence to do that. That's sometimes half the battle, if not more. Unique Ngagwe is not going to say that unless he, has, unless he has a pretty good idea that he can back it up. What do we talk about all the time? Writing checks that you can't cash. Remember last year when, when Derek Carr was talking up this offense? When he was talking up, I had asked him, you know, does he notice anything different about the, the, this offense? And, and this was in training camp, and he was talking about, man, you know, we, we leave the huddle heading to the line of scrimmage, and I'm looking over here, and I'm looking over there, and I just see talent all over the place. And here's, here's actually uh, the Yannick Ngakwe uh, quote or, or soundbite uh, talking about he and Max Crosby. I think that uh, Max and myself are the best duo that's going to come hit the scene, and I'm already putting that out there, and I feel like the NFL has, uh, you know, they kind of, shot away from that and that's cool but uh max is a hard worker he's a guy that uh he's putting in the work literally i'm just i'm lifting weights right now max is in there doing things to get better so it's the dedication the commitment and i can play all day with a guy like that what's going on there number one unique and gawkwe sees some traits in max crosby that he respects admires 
believes in and is enough so that he's willing to say something like that, but also psychologically. And this is where a guy like Unique Ngakwe becomes so important and such an asset and such a leader. He's planting a seed in Max Crosby's head too. That I'm sure was there. But, you know, a, a second-year player, a guy going into his third year, he's not going to really say that. He's not even going to – he's not going to – he shouldn't, you know. Um, uh, not ready for him to do that. And maybe he doesn't necessarily, you know, he's just not feeling it, you know, enough to say something like that. Max Crosby I'm talking about. doesn't matter. Your sidekick over there, Unique Ngakwe, who's done it at a high level, one of the highest levels in the NFL, sees it in you and has planted a major seed in Max Crosby's head. Imagine how that makes Max Crosby feel. Imagine what it instills in a Max Crosby, the confidence that it instills in a Max Crosby. Wow, that dude over there who's one of the best in the game at this believes in me enough to say something like that. Obviously, anytime, any, if you get to the NFL and you do the things that Max Crosby has done, especially the path that he took, you have confidence in yourself. All these guys do. But, you know, when somebody says something like that and somebody that has done this at a really high level, and Unique Ngagwe has done it as high a level as really anybody. He's among the best pass rushers in the NFL flat out since 2016. He's one of five players that has you know, as many sacks as he has and as many forced fumbles as he has. He knows what it looks like. He played on a great defense in Jacksonville that went to the AFC Championship game. That offense stunk in Jacksonville. Terrible offense but they still got to the AFC Championship game because they had a locked-down defense. Unique Ngagwe has seen it before. He knows what he wants to see, what he needs to see, what, sh- what he should see. For him to say what he said about Max Crosby says that he's seeing something that he likes, but also the shrewdness of it all. Hey, Max, you need to see it too. Believe in yourself. I really think that that was a, a sneaky, shrewd, big thing that Unique Ngakwe did to put it out there and now go back it up, but also plant that seed of confidence in Max Crosby in a way that he may not have had before that. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Justin wants to talk about the defense. How you doing, Justin? Hey, Van. What's going on today, brother? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Hey, um, so considering Trayvon Morig, um, from what you saw out there a few weeks ago, uh, does he look like the real deal, or are we expecting a rookie starter at that free safety position week one? Or uh, let me get a little field perspective on what's going on with that that gentleman there. Yeah, I mean, it's to, to me, um, you know, and John Gruden and, and Gus Bradley have talked about this. Um, the next step, obviously, is to see it in pads. Uh, but everything, based on everything that I've heard in terms of getting it and understanding it, does he look the part? Absolutely. No, no question about it. He's, you know, six foot two, over 200 pounds. Uh, he's fast. Um, you know, Gus Bradley talked about, and this is super important because we've seen this plague the Raiders uh, in the past, the understanding of tackling angles. Um, you know, what, what did Gus Bradley talk about just a little while ago about big bust plays? 
you know, by whether it's guys not being where they need to be or not having trust in each other or the chemistry being on the same page, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also time, certain times, guys, you know, taking bad angles and opening up big plays for the offense. And I think that Trayvon uh, obviously showed the coaching staff he understands that part of the game. And it, again, it's just in shorts and helmets. Uh, but it was, it, it gave them, I think, a good glimpse of, of what they're going to, uh, of what they thought they were going to get, what they were getting from him, and what they're potentially going to get. But again, you're going to have to see it uh, in, in, in pads. But look, this is a guy who had a first round grade um, and was highly thought of, was arguably the best safety, uh, you know, uh, in the draft based on. A lot of people that were that you know, I, I know I talk about the uh, the experts and whatnot, uh, and and sometimes how you have to keep it in perspective when they talk about certain teams' drafts and and some of the decisions that some teams made for their own reasons and and the scouts that they have and the scheme that they have. You know, you sometimes have to take it with a grain of, of salt a little bit. But in Trayvon Morig, he was generally considered the best safety uh, in the NFL draft and, you know, was, was slated to go in the first round. There was an injury, uh, a back injury. Um, sounds like it was pretty minor. It didn't, you know, hold him back in, in OTAs or, or minicamp. So, but it resulted in him going into the second round and the Raiders traded up to 43 from 48 to go get him. Yes, I, I think that I'd be shocked if he wasn't the starter. Let's put it that way. And if he's not... Then you know maybe it's young Tyree Gillespie if he, who who, you know the only reason he would be the starter is because he decisively you know beat the other guy out and and that's not a bad thing either. But I I would be surprised if that if it went down uh, that path. I think in the future, um, depending on what happens with Jonathan Abram, obviously you know he's at a crossroads uh, a little bit in his career. Now in year three, this is when you have to take your, you know, make your move. You're starting to think about, and teams are already starting to think about, hey, is this somebody that we want to bring back for a fifth year? Do you pick up his option? That's a decision that's that's that looms, and it's a decision that the Lake that the Lakers that the Raiders, uh, you know, are already thinking about. They need to see certain things from Jonathan Abram before they make that commitment, or you know. In the case, like what they did with Colton Miller, forget the fifth year, just sign him to an extension um, and, and, and take care of it right now. That's what happened with Colton Miller. So we'll see what where it goes with Jonathan Abram. Ideally, he solidifies himself as a long-term fixture on this defense and on this team, but he's got to do that. And is there 100% certainty that that's going to happen? I can't sit here and say that. You know, when we're talking about assets and liabilities and certain things that keep you up at night, right now, while Jonathan Abram, skill set-wise, seems to be a great fit as that box safety in Gus Bradley's defense, he's got to do it, you know. If he doesn't do it now, I, you know, What's the future here for him? This is it. That's his position. There's no more excuses. Uh, I know that you, you can make a case that last year he, he was used all over the place last year and maybe misused in some cases. I don't think you're going to see that this year. I think there's going to be a very defined role for him that fits what he does. And if he can't excel, if he can't be a liability playing the position that he's 
absolutely cut out to play, then there's a problem. And the Raiders are going to have to go in a different direction. And maybe that's Tyree Gillespie uh, sooner rather than later. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mitch wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Mitch? How's it going, Vinny? Uh, thanks for taking my call. You got it, Hope brother. Are staying cool? Are we staying cool? You should do a show by the pool. First, I'm going to share with him with a couple of martinis. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds yeah. good. I like I like where you're thinking, the way you're thinking. Hey, um, anybody get hurt with Clippers as we speak? I could not believe they won last night. But, it, you know, I made a comparison with Clippers and Raiders. Raiders have been kind of like spinning their wheels just like the Clippers. They have no excuse this year. I think that, I think the Clippers are going to win it somehow. But I think the, uh, the Raiders are to give Kansas City a run for their money. Do you think uh, Ruggs can be very similar, very close to um, the Kansas City's uh, their little wide receiver slash run up? I don't want Ruggs taking handoffs. But I think he's just as fast, almost as fast as the Kansas City guy. What do you think? I think maybe 1,400 yards, everything goes well. But thanks for taking my call, up. Yeah, I think that... Um We'll see. You know, when you're, when you're talking about Henry Ruggs, uh, no question, the 43 targets needs to be in that 80 to 90 range. Flat out. They need to figure out a way to make sure he gets his targets and then rewards them for that. Now, now part of that is he's got to show them. Um, He's got to show them what he's capable of doing. When the ball gets in his hands early on next year, I'm talking preseason obviously training camp, but really preseason and and early on in the season, uh, that if you get him his targets and you get him the ball, he's going to pay dividends. He's going to make things happen. And the more he does that, the more confidence um, it's going to build with Derek Carr, with John Gruden, to keep feeding him uh, the ball. And, I mean, that's, that's why the Raiders drafted him 12th overall. They believed in the speed. They believed in the athlete. They believed in the football player. And they also understood they have a responsibility, as does um, uh, Henry, to hone the, uh, the the parts of the game that he needs to get better in. And that's that was part of the process. It was always understood that that was going to be the case. Um, there, it, you probably couldn't have picked a worse year for uh, somebody in that kind of a category than last year without the offseason um, and whatnot. So it got delayed a little bit. It got um, stunted a little bit. The the development of, of Henry Ruggs injuries played a role. COVID nineteen played a role, but it is what it is. And you know, um, there's still four years left on on the contract, and plenty of time, including right now as we speak, and and what we saw over the last couple of months during OTAs and, and mini camp, uh, of a young player being able to put the work in, the necessary work in, uh, and, and, and utilize that time of year to build his foundation and to, you know, iron out some of the rough edges of, of his game. Um, I, again, the Raiders were fully aware and understood that there were parts of his game that needed to be developed. I don't think anyone <laughs> counted on the kind of offseason that uh, that happened last year. But, you know, even by the time the draft happened last year, obviously the draft was supposed to be here in Las Vegas uh, last April. But because of COVID-19, it got canceled. So we, we kind of had an idea that 
hey, things are going to be a little bit challenging, a little bit more challenging for the rookies this year and, the fir- and you know, new faces and uh, any kind of personnel changes that, that you made because of COVID-19 and what it meant and what it was going to take away. Uh, but even still, the Raiders were okay with drafting a player that they felt f- uh, in the in the future. Once you got certain parts of his game elevated to add to the tremendous speed, the explosive speed, uh, world class speed, that doesn't grow on trees. Uh, they felt like if they were able, and when they were able to combine that speed and that athletic ability and that explosiveness um, with him working on his body, getting stronger, uh, getting more you know durable, figuring out the wide receiver position, getting out of uh, uh, breaks, getting off the line of scrimmage, attacking coverages, knowing the route tree, running precise routes, coming down with the ball when the ball is thrown to him. All of those things that, listen, here's what I say about Henry Ruggs. When you look at the work ethic you're comfortable in saying whatever the ceiling is, and I really believe the ceiling is high for Henry Ruggs, whatever the ceiling is, he's going to get there or close to it because he's got the necessary work ethic to get there. He cares enough to get there. That isn't always the case. It's just not always the case with certain players. Certain players care enough. Certain players don't. It's the great unknown. It's the great unknown when you're making decisions. You try and try and try to get that part figured out. But you can never climb in a player's head as much as you try and as many tricks as you have up your sleeve to try to gauge that. You can never crawl into somebody's head. You can never crawl into their heart to see and get a feel for what's really going on in the deepest parts of somebody. I know I'm getting, you know, all crazy here, but it, that's, it's the truth of the matter. And I've seen it so many times. We all have. And I think in Henry Ruggs's case, just looking at him, um, you know, the, 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 what he looked like when he got back, uh, when I saw him uh, this off season, you could tell, you can tell that he put the necessary work in on that end of it. And if you put the necessary work in on that end of it, I'm pretty sure he put the necessary work in on other parts of it as well. It's just kind of who he is. And remember, the conversation that I had with Derek Carr, you know, talking about a light went on or a switch went on in his head. And, you know, he was quick to point out, Derek Carr was, it's not unusual. You know, that, that, it didn't mean the light wasn't on um, for, for Henry Ruggs. It was on. But you can't see what you have never seen before sometimes. You have to go through it. The light that went on that Derek Carr explained was, oh, this is what the NFL is all about. This is what I need to do. You're not able to, you, people can talk about it, but you really have to see it. And that's when the light goes on. The question is, do you heed the light and pay attention to the light or don't you? The good ones do, the bad ones don't. And as Derek Carr told me, it's obvious that Henry Ruggs did. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila and Bahar. It's 
Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. So we're talking about expectations. We're talking about win totals and win total predictions. The Raiders are predicted to win somewhere around seven games. But as I pointed out, and I wonder if the Raiders and the team that I'm about to reference, uh, if there's some parallels um, to the two teams. The Phoenix Suns were predicted to win about 38 games coming into this year. They won 52. They earned home field, home court advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs. That's why if the, if, if the Western Conference Finals uh, goes to a seventh game against the Clippers, it'll be in Phoenix and not Los Angeles. There's precedent for teams to play above, well above and beyond, beyond their expected win totals. Why didn't teams? Why didn't people believe in the Phoenix Suns coming into this year, even with the addition of Chris Paul? I, you know, can you blame people for being skeptical, considering the Phoenix Suns? I'd have to look back, but they hadn't made the playoffs. And trying to remember the last time the the Phoenix Suns made the playoffs prior to this year, we might have to be going all the way back to Mike D'Antoni. And that crew, with Steve Nash, if if Devon has a second or two to maybe look that up, when the last time? No, it's been ten years. But Alvin Gentry was the head coach the last uh, time. Ah, what am I? Mi- of course, I was there for crying out loud. They went. They went to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers, and uh, the Lakers beat them in Game Six. I was there. Uh, I was just telling my wife <laughs> last night um, watching. Uh, you know, Phoenix playing in Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals. And I was just thinking back to 2010 when, as I'm writing my story, my column, uh, you know, with Lakers winning the Western Conference Finals, going back to the playoffs or the finals to play the Boston Celtics and then simultaneously booking my flight to Boston. What a whirlwind uh, that was. That whole series was a crazy, crazy series. You want know, to hear a funny story? Um, I got to get the names right. Let me let me think about. I got to get the uh, the names correct. But there are some funny things about that series. But anyway, so as it relates to the Raiders, the skepticism about the Phoenix Suns, even though you can see that the Suns, you know, the roster was getting better, uh, certain players were getting better, um, the young center uh, who. I have to say he was probably a big question mark coming into this year because he hadn't he hadn't turned that corner. Aiton hadn't. But if you saw him in college and you understand basketball and you understand that bigs sometimes take a little bit longer to develop, you're talking about a guy that came into the NBA when he was, you know, 18, 19 years old. And um, so I'm, I'm typing up something here real quick. Because I want to see no, but Vinny, if you think about it that way, I think Chris bringing who's the Chris Paul type of player that the Unique Raiders have brought in? Unique and Gakwe. Oh, that's I, totally different. Chris Paul is like a Hall of Surefire Hall of Famer. I mean, 
Yes, he's, but he's, the, he's a, He elevates wherever he goes. Like, you can look at the year before and then the current season that Chris Paul's been on that team. Yeah, but to, to, the numbers yes, are going up. To, to an extent. I mean, he's, still, he's never gotten over the hump, and I'm wondering if he's going to be able to get over the hump uh, yeah, this okay, year. I'm just talking but, about I mean, the regular it, season making team Football's a little better. bit different. Football's different. Um, it's just different. And, but, but the impact that Unique Ngakwe and Casey Hayward, it might not be the one player. There's five players on, in basketball. You know, there's 11 players uh, on either side of the ball but it, it, in football. But if you, I, to me, Unique Ngakwe is going to make a huge difference on this defense. And it's going to, I think, along with some other additions that they made, Casey Hayward and some of the, uh, some of the improvements that they made along the defensive line, I think, can have the necessary effect that an addition of a Chris Paul and didn't they bring in Jay Crowder? Right? Was Jay Crowder on their team last year? I don't think he was. He was there last year. Nope, uh, he's but, a new addition as well. He was on the Heat last year. Yeah, there you go. Who went to the NBA Finals? So you know. Uh, by the way, we're going to go out to the real quick uh, out to the Raider Nation guest line and or listener line and Dave uh, Raider Dave in Denver. How you doing, Raider Dave? Hey, thanks. I appreciate the quick jaunt. I'm uh, really close to my destination. But I just wanted to point out or ask a question, and I don't know of anybody who's done this homework, but all the prognosticators or the magazines or whatever you want to call it that puts the 6-10 and 10 or whatever the, the record would be on all these teams, do they actually add up to the total wins and losses that an NFL season would actually have? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't know. You know what I mean? If you were to go through and take the entire ESPN magazine or whatever it is, I wonder if it actually adds up to the, what, 246 games or whatever the heck it is. They would actually, you know, pan out to be correct. Because, I mean, Raiders, well, everybody was saying that I read was 5-11 and 11 team last year. Um, they eclipsed that by eight games and missed the playoffs and winning the division by eight points in a couple of games. But uh, I think next year, They've got to be a 10-win season just playing the same as they did. Uh, yeah, they've got I, no I, weapons on offense. They've got uh, rookies that aren't rookies anymore. And if the defense played the same, even against this, uh, this opponent schedule, I think they would, they would win at least eight or nine games. And you know the defense is going to play better. Right. I mean, to, to say that they're going to win seven games, I think is saying two things. Number one, that they're not going to play as good as they did last year. Um, and they're going to get worse, basically, than they were last year. I don't see that happening at all. I, in fact, I think they're going to get better in certain key areas. Uh, but also, I think they're saying they're maybe looking at that schedule and saying, well, it's a difficult schedule, so that plays into it uh, as well. And it is a difficult schedule. I also, I, if, you're, if you're a Raider fan, the way you have to look at that schedule, forget it. Forget about it being difficult. It is. We get it. We understand it. But it's also opportunistic. It puts the Raiders in line to play every single team that they're probably going to have to deal with in terms of that wild card this year. They're going to have a chance to knock West off to a bunch that of schedule. What's that? The whole AFC West has to play that schedule. So does that mean they're you know our expectations are our team should win ten games, but they're only saying seven? Does that mean everybody in Kansas City is saying, oh, we're going to win? Uh, 14 games, but they're really only saying 11. I don't see that happening with all the rest of the teams, but they're all playing the same against the same two divisions in the AFC and NFC. Well, they, they are, they are, 
But then there's also the fact that the Raiders, because they finished in second place, are, are, are playing that second place schedule, whereas the Chargers are playing a third place schedule and the uh, Broncos are playing the third place schedule. And, and by that, that means the two other games that, you know, uh, I think it's an NFC, it's an NFC team and an AFC team that you play each year that lines up. Is it? I, I got to look, look at that. But in, in either case, you also, in addition to playing the same teams as everyone else in your division, which you do, you play an NFC uh, division and an AFC division that mimic everyone else in your division. But then you also have to play two teams that finished in your position uh, in the standings outside of that as well, whereas that's the, that's the one advantage that the Chargers would have, that's the one advantage that the Denver Broncos would have, is that they're playing third-place teams and fourth-place teams as opposed to the second-place teams uh, that the Raiders are going to be playing, it, which, is, which is fine. My thing is, the schedule is a schedule. you got to go out and beat the dang, the dang schedule. That's bottom line. And I think the Raiders are in a bet, are in a good position to do just that. To say that they're going to be a seven win team, to predict that they're going to be a seven uh, win team, to me, is saying that they think you know people think that the Raiders are going to be worse, and they're playing, and, and they're not going, to, and as a result, they're not going to be able to navigate uh, the more difficult schedule. The way I see, uh, right? It, they, they're saying that this offense is not going to do as well on the road with fans, and they're not giving any allegiance to the Al. A stadium that is going to be packed with Raider fans for eight of the, nine of those games. Right, I nine can, of those games. Yeah, I can see. I can see scoring in the NFL going down next year across the board. So even if the Raiders don't score as many points as they did last year because of what you just introduced. I think I, 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 if that happens to the Raiders, then I think it's going to happen to everybody else too. So I think, and that'll even out. You know, um, if the highest—I don't know what the highest uh, scoring team was last year—but but take two points off of them, and then everybody else, um, you know, uh, accordingly, it's it, it'll all even out. Where I think the Raiders are going to get an advantage is playing at home, number one, and and having that home field advantage. But also, I just think the defense is going to be better. And I think the defense is going to be better to keep them in games, um, you know, on the road, because that's what they're going to need to have happen. They're going to need to neutralize teams on the road better. I think that uh, adding a Kenyon Drake to the run game and some of the changes that they made to the defensive line, i.e., um, uh, Leatherwood, the tackle, um, and and getting Richie Incognito back, I think that's going to put them in a better position to run the ball more successfully, more efficiently. The Raiders' run game last year wasn't where it needed to be. I think a lot of that had to do with the offensive line was just banged up <laughs> last year. And I also think that Josh Jacobs you know, was sort of a victim of that. And plus, you know, again, he got hurt. He, there, were, there were injuries that he was dealing with. I think by addressing the offensive line and getting uh, younger and more physical on the offensive line, bringing back Richie Incognito, who I think is a hugely underrated uh, aspect of the Raiders' run game, I think getting a healthy Alec uh, Ingold, I thought that when he got hurt, it really damaged the run game as well. He's the lead blocker in the run game. Uh, I think that for all of those reasons, that the, the run game has a chance to be better. And I always believe, and I know that obviously you just look at the, uh, at, at the football world, when you can run the ball consistently, when you can run the, run the ball at an efficient level, it really helps when you go out on the road. 
because you can control the ball better. You can control time of possession better. Um, it, it keeps your defense more fresh. Uh, it, it also sets up big plays in the pass game. So I think that f- for those reasons, I think even when the Raiders go on the road, where they show that they can win last year, however, there's an asterisk next to that. They were playing in empty stadiums. It's just that's you have to you have to take that into account. Now I do think that the Raiders are going to have not just nine home games this year, but ten. Uh, when you throw in going to L.A. to play the Chargers, I think that's going to be a Raiders home game at SoFi Stadium, period. And I think the Chargers are going to be dealing with that all year long. It's not going to just be excuse me, against uh, the Raiders where that turns into a home game for the opposing team. I think that's going to be consistently the case for the Chargers. And I, I don't think enough people are talking about that. Now, it's not going to be like it is when the Raiders go to SoFi Stadium, and that is just Raidered out from top to bottom. But when some of the bigger brands go into Los Angeles, that's going to turn into a huge advantage for those teams. I got to look at their schedule to see who else. I think Kansas City is going to take over that stadium. Not to the extent that the Raiders do, but I think a lot of fans are going to travel from Kansas City. I, I know, um, you know, when Kansas City came into the Coliseum to play the Rams, there were a lot of Kansas City fans uh, at, at that game. Obviously, there were a lot of Ram fans too, uh, but I could tell. And I, I, I covered a, a Kansas City Chiefs game against the L.A. Chargers uh, at, uh, uh, in Carson at the soccer stadium, and it was a whole bunch of Chiefs fans there. So I think when the Chiefs go there, I think when um, whoever else, I, I got to see who else they, they, they play. Um, I think the Giants, don't the Giants go play? Uh, or, or maybe it's the Jets. But anyway, they're, they're going to be dealing with that on a game-to-game basis. Imagine being the Chargers. And literally, every single game you play has a chance to be an away game. I feel bad for their players, to be honest with you. Um, but I, that's realistically what they're, fa- what, what, what they're going to be facing. And so but they're I, not a bad team. Yeah, but it's still going to be. It's, I don't think they're like just, oh, every game. Like they go, they, they're barely going to eke out two games. No, no, no. I, 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 I agree with you on that. But. It's 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 I I'm just telling I my prediction is that stadium because now it's a bigger stadium where they were playing, you know, in Carson was a twenty nine thousand seat uh, venue. All right, when they get into sixty five thousand, seventy thousand at SoFi Stadium, assuming people are in the seats watching, of those seventy thousand that are there. It's not going to be the majority, not even close, are going to be Charger fans. Unless, unless, and I don't see this happening, unless San Diego, their fans in San Diego decide to jump back on board. But I don't see that happening. The Chargers did so much damage on the move to Los Angeles of... I, I can't say that they purposely alienated their fans. I don't think it went down that way. But the Chargers could have moved anywhere but Los Angeles and kept more of their fans in San Diego. San Diego hates Los Angeles, period, when it comes to sports. Maybe when it comes to other things. It's not reciprocated. When I lived in Los Angeles, we loved San Diego. When I lived in San Diego, we, everyone was indifferent to San Diego sports because they were usually fairly meaningless in the whole scheme of things. 
the Padres didn't mean anything to the Dodgers. They were they, they were never they've never been anything for any extended period of time. It's been oh, you just bring it. this up because of that one clip that went viral with the guy at the Padres game giving the Dodgers fan. No, no, no I, I, <laughs> I, I, that's it. That was pretty funny. But no, 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 it's not that. And I know that you know Padre fans are definitely feeling their oats right now. There's been fleeting moments of that but it's not the same like Dodger fans don't hate the Padres because the Padres have never been anything of significance against the Dodgers now the Giants Dodger fans hate Giants fans Giant fans hate Dodger fans why because both teams have torn each other's hearts out from time to time taken something that belong that the other team feels belongs to them it's a rivalry but anyway the way San Diego feels about Los Angeles, you gotta, you gotta understand, Los Angeles sports have always towered above uh, San Diego. Not to mention, the Clippers left San Diego to go to LA. Obviously, now the Chargers have. There's a stigma there. And so when the Chargers left for Los Angeles, a lot of their fans in San Diego said, no way am I going to support you as the Los Angeles Chargers. They could have moved to Las Vegas. I think more Charger fans would have stayed on board. They could have moved to St. Louis and more San Diego fans would have stayed on board. It's really weird, but that's the case. It's only 100 miles away, but it's it's a world apart. And there is this hatred that San Diego has for Los Angeles because they've gotten crushed by the Dodgers and before that, the Lakers um, and college football. Everything has worked against San Diego and for Los Angeles. And so when Los Angeles looks at San Diego, it's like, who doesn't love San Diego? Their sports teams, complete indifference. Not so much on the other side of things. But it's going to hurt the Chargers, I think, now in a bigger stadium. I think that a lot of their home games are going to turn into home games for the opposing team. Dramatically so in some cases. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajara. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, Chargers schedule right now, okay? We all know. Obviously, when the Raiders go uh, into SoFi Stadium on October 4th, it's a Monday night, by the way, There's, it's, it's going to be a Raiders crowd, period. I know that. I know how it works. But what about when the Dallas Cowboys, September, you know how many Cowboy fans there are in Southern California or will just drive or make the trip? There's a bunch of Cowboy fans in Southern California. They've had training camp in Southern California going all the way back to the 1980s. First in Thousand Oaks, now in Oxnard. The Cowboys are going to take over <laughs> SoFi Stadium. Cowboy fans are going to take over SoFi Stadium. The Patriots in October 30. You know how many people from Boston and New England have moved to Los Angeles and Southern California and will make that drive <laughs> to go see that game? The Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, when the Rams played the Minnesota Vikings, I would say at the Coliseum, 30%, 35% of the fans there were Vikings fans. 
And that's with a whole bunch of Ram fans being in Los Angeles. There's not many Charger fans in Los Angeles that are going to hold on to their tickets for those games. The Vikings are going to take over SoFi Stadium. The Pittsburgh Steelers, November 21st. Do you realize how many Pittsburgh fans, A, just people in general from Pittsburgh have relocated to Southern California? Or will circle that on their road trip schedule? Who doesn't want to go to Los Angeles in November when it's freezing cold in Pittsburgh? It's going to be a nightmare. It has the potential to be a nightmare. For the Chargers. And, you know, I I, I know a lot of people uh, that, that work there. And... I've said this many, many times. They were in a rock and a hard place in San Diego. And here's where it really got dicey for the Chargers. They had, there was a timeline for them, okay? They had a certain amount of time to exercise their option in Los Angeles or lose it. It goes to a vote. They give it one more year, even after they were given the option to join the Rams in Los Angeles in January of 2016. When that vote happened, I was there in Houston. Mark Davis stood up on that podium. Dean Spanos, the Chargers owner. Stan Kroenke, the Rams owner. And it was agreed upon in that vote. The Rams have the green light to move from St. Louis to Los Angeles, but they have to make accommodations for either the Chargers who had the first option and had it for, I think, a year. Next up was the Raiders. The Raiders, in the meantime, over that next year, started looking at Las Vegas. That's why they're in Las Vegas now. The Chargers decided, well, not going to exercise that option in 2016, going to give it one more chance in San Diego. So they came up with a stadium plan uh, that included kind of what happened here in Las Vegas. Uh, there was going to be like a hotel tax increase uh, in San Diego. And, 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 you know, through that, they were going to raise money to help build a stadium in downtown San Diego, along with refurbishing or, or just redoing the, the convention center down in San Diego. It went to a vote. It didn't succeed. They actually got a pretty decent, uh, I think it was in the 40s, 40% or something along those lines of people that voted yes for it. But they didn't get it. It wasn't enough. Now, here's where it got a little dicey for the Chargers. Do you give it another chance but then lose out on Los Angeles as an option and have that closed out to you? What's the incentive for San Diego to help you do anything at that point? If there's no um, option in in Los Angeles. So they decided, you know what? We're just going to go to Los Angeles. Was it the best decision? No, it was their second decision. It was their fallback plan. And it wasn't a very good fallback plan, to be honest with you. Because there there wasn't a strong foothold for the Chargers in Los Angeles. We're seeing that. And it's going to get bad to me next year. The Cleveland Browns, the Steelers, the Vikings, obviously the Raiders, the Dallas Cowboys... Just wait till you see what those stadiums look like. Unless those teams completely fall on their face this year, the teams that I just mentioned, 
their fans are going. There's so many of their fans that live in Southern California. You can come up with 20,000, 30,000 fans, if not more. And then on top of the fans that are going to travel there from Minnesota or Pittsburgh or Cleveland. And then there's the fans in Arizona or maybe, you know, Northern California that said, yeah, that's just a drive. I'll make the drive down there to go see my beloved Browns or my beloved Steelers from Arizona or, you know, down in San Diego or the Inland Empire or in some neighboring states. It's 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 going to be awful, I think, for the Chargers, and it's worse now because it's going to be a bigger stadium. So there's more tickets to be able to sell, and I think that a lot of those fans, I I'd see them at the Coliseum, even against a really good Rams team. You know, just understand that for Los Angeles, we went like twenty some odd years without having uh, a home team, and everyone took advantage of being able to go back, go see their teams, whether they were the Rams or the Cowboys, Eagles, or whoever it was. So I just, that works for the rest of the AFC West teams because I think that it's, it's going to be a difficult challenge, unfortunately, for the Chargers, that they're going to be playing a lot more road games than everybody else. That's just the way it is. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. I want to say thanks to Devon Cotton, our great producer. I want to say thanks to all the great callers. Uh, keep it coming. Uh, we'll be back on regular time tomorrow, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Embajador Tequila.